Man, God has just been doing some really powerful things through this season. I know that's been a crazy, crazy, crazy past several months in our country, in our lives. And I believe that God uh, is demonstrating through the work that he's doing, not just in Mercy Road, but also the Big C Church, that the church is alive and well and advancing more than ever. We have seen so many people connecting more than, they, than, than we've ever seen, devices connecting online. And, um, and one of the things I heard this past week is that there was a study done that the most, uh, the most popular for a season during COVID, especially the most popularly uh, searched word was the word prayer on Google. Prayer. Come on, if that isn't a demonstration of God taking what the enemy meant for evil and using it for good, it, I, I don't know what is. And so we just know that God's kingdom continues to advance. And this is what we've been talking about in this series, Some Good News, because we're all watching unnerving and disconcerting news when we, when we turn on the news or we scroll through social media, or if you're like, you're like me, we just choose to stay away from it. Um, but we would like to hear some good news, wouldn't we? And so we've been talking about the good news is that God's kingdom is here now. And that it's advancing and that he's invited us to be a part of that kingdom. It's not just advancing, you know, and we're just kind of left in its wake. We get to be a part of it. And I believe, and this is what I want to talk about today, one of the greatest portals to God's kingdom advancing and change taking place in and around us is this one concept, and that's the concept of prayer. Now, I was asked to speak on the concept of prayer, and I was like, I don't want to speak on the concept of prayer. <laughs> you know Why? Because this isn't a message for you. This is a message for me. Because if, if you're like me, like I, I'm not content with my prayer life. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe you are in here. And if, you're, if you are, we're glad you're here with us, Jesus. But for most of us, we, when we think about prayer, we don't, we don't think, yeah, my prayer life's awesome. I'm praying as much as I really should. We all kind of, and we, we, we don't. And, and for me, it's because I'm like a man of action. I like, to, I like to do things. My first response to almost anything is, what do we do? What do I do about this? How do I make a change here? Right? And, and I just believe that what God is inviting us into is that our first response should be prayer. Instead, we kind of make it a last resort, don't we? Like the last ditch effort, kind of the Hail Mary when everything else seems to not work. And part of it is because, as I was thinking about this, is because we have this culture of independence in the United States, especially. In Western culture in general, we uh, ascribe to this idea that we're supposed to be self-made, self-motivated. We're supposed to make things happen for ourselves, and we are independent. And the idea of dependence is not something that we desire, is it? And, and we even teach our kids independence. And this is a good thing. My, I have an eight-month-old at home, and about two or three times a day, I am changing a poopy diaper, okay? Um, that's fine when he's eight, eight months. That's not going to be fine when he's eight. It's definitely not going to be fine when he's 30, right? <laughs> okay? Like, you're not living with mom and dad. I'm definitely not. That's not happening. Because we grow our kids up from dependence on us to independence, don't we? This is the normalcy of life. One of the things I love about my wife, Christy, is that she is so good at teaching our kids independence. Every single morning, and this is to do a major brag on her, every morning our kids don't leave their room until their bed is made. And we have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Their bed is made, they have brushed their teeth, and uh, they are not allowed to leave until they read that the alarm clock says eight o'clock. They're not allowed to leave the room. 
And I'm like, so if they don't, if the alarm clock doesn't say 8 o'clock, they're sitting in bed reading. I'm like, what in the world? Well, that's, my wife's just amazing at teaching them independence. And in fact, uh, a couple years ago, I went on an Israel trip right after we got married. We blended a family. She had a, a daughter. I had a son. And we blended this family. And I had, when my previous wife passed away, my son was 15 months old. And I had only done what I knew to do for, for the next couple of years in his life. So he's three and a half by the time I got remarried. And, uh, and so I was treating him like a 15-month-old because I just didn't know what to do. So I'm like still changing him and getting him ready. I come back from Israel. I thought that she was going to have the worst time ever. 10 days, me in Israel, she's handling the kids all by herself. She's taking care of, you know, she's got to go to PA school. She's got to do all this. She's got to get them to school. And, and I'm like, she's going to come, I'm going to come back and her hair's on fire. Everything's going to be terrible. I come back in and I go to start about my normalcy of helping my son get ready in the morning. And she goes, Davy, stop, watch. And I swear like the Van Trapp family singers came into my home and trained my kids because she's like whistling, like, boop, free drink, boop, diesel, boop. You know, I'm like, what just happened here? And they start doing everything by themselves in complete independent fashion. I'm like, this is amazing. How'd you do this? She goes, I had to get you out of the house for 10 days, okay? You know, we're training them to be independent. And that's fantastic. That's right. But did you know that God works in reverse? Did you know the whole journey for us spiritually, although physically it's from independence or dependence to independence, spiritually our journey is from independence to dependence. Think about this. When you first come to know Christ, when you first receive what Jesus did for you on the cross and what he made available to you by the forgive, for the forgiveness of your sins, when you first believe that he raised from the dead so that you don't have to just kind of live a sin management life and you just have to cope with the mistakes that you made and cope with these propensities toward sin and propensities toward trying to get away from God's ways. But, but when you believe that he, re, he raised from the dead and that spirit lives in you and you can have freedom from that stuff, the very initial outset of of that moment right there, you are completely independent, aren't you? It is your way. It is the way you used to do things, and you are the boss. And in that moment, you yield to him. And he starts this journey where he's taking you from independence to dependence. And listen to me. Every situation in our life is a call from God, an invitation for us to step into dependence. And I believe there is not another act that is more appropriate in stepping into dependence than the act of prayer. Prayer. Do you know that before Jesus performed major miracles in Scripture, almost every major miracle was preceded by him going away and praying? So before he fed the 5,000, where was he? Praying. Before he walked on water, where was he? Praying. Before he would cast out demons, where was he? Praying. There was something powerful that unleashed when he stepped into this act of praying and going to the Father and saying, God, would you do something powerful in me despite me? I can't do this on my... Jesus said he couldn't do it on his own, but he only did what the Father told him to do. And if you don't get anything else in here today, this is the sermon I'm preaching myself right now, okay? I'm not... This is what I'm preaching to my own heart, that a prayerful life is a powerful life. A prayerful life is a powerful life. And if that's true, the inverse is also true, that a prayerless life is a powerless life. And I want to take a look at, we're going to bounce back and forth. We've been talking about on the Sermon of the Mount during this series, and we're going to bounce back and forth between the Sermon of the Mount and um, 
in this Old Testament story in 1 Samuel chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to read a story about a, a man named Elkanah and his two wives, Panina and Hannah. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Before we jump into it, I want you to write this down. Prayer releases God's power. Prayer releases God's power. It says this, starting in verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zephite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. I have no idea if that's how you're supposed to pronounce those, but in Bible school they just tell you to approach it with confidence and people will believe you, okay? So <laughs> if you're underlining, if you like to underline, underline right there it says certain man from, from uh, Ramathame. Certain man. It says he had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Panera. I'm sorry, Panina. Just making sure you're listening. Panina had children. Watch this. But Hannah had none. We're going to see God work in a very powerful way in this family's life in a situation that looks like it's irreversible because what you need to know about the fact that Hannah didn't just, it wasn't that she just didn't have children, it's that she couldn't have children. She was barren. She was infertile. And, and, it, and listen, it was, it was her fault, so to speak. We know that because Elkanah, her husband, was able to have kids with another wife. So, so I want you to imagine, many of you guys have been on this, this journey before of battling with infertility. In fact, in our podcast, Nothing Is Wasted podcast, this past week I talked to a guy who he and his wife battled with infertility for 10 years. And he said that it was just this constant roller coaster, rise and fall of expectation, disappointment, expectation, disappointment, expectation, disappointment. I said, what did you learn in that? He said, I learned that the, the verse, hope deferred makes the heart sick, is true. Have you been there? Maybe it's not infertility, but maybe it's something else where you have this expectation that God's going to show up and show out in your life in a certain way. And then you believe in it and you ask him for it and then he doesn't and it disappoints you. And you're on this constant roller coaster of expectation, disappointment, expectation, disappointment, expectation, disappointment. And sometimes I have found that that is why I don't go to God in prayer. That I look at a situation that seems irreversible in my life and instead of actually asking God to do something powerful to reverse that situation and trusting in the resurrection power of Jesus, I just accept it. Just kind of walk it out. And sometimes it's because I look at myself and I see how ordinary I am and I tend to mistake the fact that I think only God, God can only work through extraordinary people, right? Like he can work through that guy or that girl because they seem to live this extraordinary life and have this uh, amazing relationship with God, but I'm just kind of ordinary and honestly, I'm kind of dysfunctional and honestly, my family puts the fun in dysfunction, if you know what I'm saying. And I don't know if God can work in extraordinary ways through ordinary people like me, but, but can I give you a, an encouragement? This family right here was an ordinary family. So much so the writer had to, had to zero down on exactly the Elkanah because there were so many Elkanahs around. That's why I was like, the Elkanah, this son, and 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 this son. He wanted to communicate that this certain man, this ordinary man, God was about to do something extraordinary. And the encouragement in here today is that you and I might be ordinary people, but the ways of God is to always take ordinary people and do extraordinary things with them. You know why? Because if he uses extraordinary people, which can I call a timeout if you think you're extraordinary, uh, part of that independence to dependence thing is a journey to help you understand that you're not that extraordinary. Hello. 
But if he uses extraordinary people, the people that everybody looks at, and they're like, wow, they're like Avengers. This is amazing. They're like, I just want to be like them. If he uses them all the time, then those people tend to think that they were the ones that did it and they take the credit for it. And everybody else gives them the credit for it because they're the talented and they're the wow and oh my God, they're extraordinary. God loves to use us. Ordinary, talentless, <laughs> gifted lists, so it seems, to draw out something that he's put inside of us. Why? So that he gets the credit for it. So that people go, wow, God is working in extraordinary ways. And that's what happens here with this, this ordinary family. I mean, they're not rolling up. They're not gap models. Hello. They're not like their kids all shirts tucked in. You know, they got the hair combed over to the side. They're not like looking like they walked out of just a, a 50s sitcom or something. No, like these, these are like, this is a dysfunctional family. How do I know that? Elkanah had two wives. Even if he could handle like having two wives, that's two sets of in-laws. Okay. Like it's dysfunction. <laughs> Anyways, so. Nobody likes that joke. Why does nobody like that joke? I think it just makes everybody feel uncomfortable because they're like, that's so true. But they don't want to say that next to their spouse. Whatever. Okay. I think the reason, if I'm honest, that I struggle with prayer is because I know theologically certain aspects of God that don't seem to line up with prayer. Like I know God is sovereign and he has purposes that no matter what we try to do, we can't thwart. Like, in fact, I read things in Scripture that say this, Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. And I read that, and I'm like, well, if I can't change God's mind about my situation, what's the point in asking him to change my situation? And I slip into this apathy, or acceptance. Or, or I read things like this, Proverbs 16, 9, man plans his course, but God determines his steps. And I, I began to realize that there's so much in all of this that is out of my control. Hello, has this season not told us that there is so much that is out of our control? Control might be the greatest illusion of all time. There's not one of us that couldn't get a phone call or a family member just kind of like give us one word that changes the course of our life in a moment. We're so out of control. And so when I see things like this, I go, well, what's the point of asking God to change anything in prayer? Why would I go to him if I can't change his mind? If he's got his purposes set out and he kind of directs my steps no matter what, what's the point? And yet Hannah takes her irreversible situation and instead of accepting it, we're going to find out that she continues to ask God to do something about it. You know, we've been on, talking about the Sermon on the Mount and one, some of the things that Jesus said, and I think it's so powerful. One of the things that Jesus says, it says in Matthew chapter 7 on the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus says right here. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him stone? Any dads in here? Like, 
Like, I, sometimes I like to, you know, kind of tease my kids a little bit and stuff, but I have never, <laughs> if they're like, hey, Dad, can I have some lunch? I'm like, well, yeah, here's some pebbles. Here you go. And not fruity pebbles. Here, you know, like, or it goes on. It says, if you, though you are evil, it says, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. What's he saying here? He's saying that the heart of a dad is to give to his kids. He, he is a loving father. And we know this, and we are sinful, fallen fathers. And that's what it says in verse, if you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who, what? Ask him. So despite the fact that God has his ways and his purposes and his plans, he is also inviting us to, listen, participate in those by asking. And I was trying to wrap my mind around, I'm like, how? Like, I, this doesn't make any sense. Like, God does what he wants to do, and yet he asks us to maybe engage and ask him to change. And I started thinking, well, you know what? Maybe we can't change God's mind, but perhaps what Jesus is saying here is that we can change his acts. Maybe we can't change the purposes of God, but we can, by asking him, we can invoke a response from God that he might change the way he carries out those purposes. And what's crazy is Jesus is asking us to do this. Like, he tells this parable at another point where he says the kingdom of God is like an incessant widow who goes and knocks at an arbiter or a judge and says, hey, 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 can you change this? 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 Is there any parent in here having PTSD right now? Mommy, 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 daddy, 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 daddy. When my kids incessantly ask me for things, you know what I say to them? I say, ask me one more time. Ask me one more time. See what happens. They know what that means. They know it means you better not ask me anymore. And I just wonder how much of that right there is being projected onto my heavenly father. And that keeps me from asking. Because Jesus tells the story. He says, if you ask and you keep asking, he says the widow kept asking and asking and asking and asking. And finally the judge goes, okay, for the love to get you off my back here, I'll grant you request, your, your request. It's almost like Jesus is like, hey, the father's going, ask me one more time. Ask me one more time. Ask me one more time. What? Why would God the Father be so, not just okay with, but be inviting us to be an incessant, annoying asker? How many of you guys have alarm clocks that you set in the morning? Set an alarm clock in the morning? Anybody? Well, that's why I came to the 1015 service, Davey, because I don't set an alarm clock. <laughs> How many of you set five alarm clocks? Come on, somebody, right? Every five minutes, 6 o'clock, 6.05, 6.10, right? That's and oftentimes I'm hitting the snooze and I'm like, don't even realize I'm hitting the snooze. Can I ask you a question? Does your alarm clock control you or do you control the alarm clock? The reason you set the alarm clock is so that in the morning it will do something that arouses you and moves your hand, right? But who sets the alarm clock? You do. The night before you set it because you want that thing, the alarm, to arouse you and move your hand. I believe that God at the beginning of time preordained prayer to be the same thing. 
that prayer is the pre-appointed means by which God carries out his pre-appointed plans. Oh, are you writing that down? I didn't even plan to say that. That's when you know the Holy Spirit just said something to you. That God is inviting us into a space where he has called us to do something, to pray to him so that it arouses him to move his hand. And while he's in control of it, he says, this is what I have preordained to set up. And when you step in it and you ask, I'll do something powerful. And this is what Hannah knew. And so she goes, it says this, in, it says year after year, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3, year after year, this man Elkanah went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever they came for Elkanah, when, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his late, to his, uh, excuse me, to his wife Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the love, and the Lord had closed her womb, and because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. The second thing I want you to write down is that prayer reframes our perspective. It reframes our perspective. Don't miss this, you've got this whole family going up for the once a year sacrifice that was laid out in scripture uh, for the Israelite people to go and they would sacrifice so that the blood of the lamb would cover their sin. And as Elkanah is taking Panina and Hannah up there, he, they sacrificed the animal and they were to eat the meat of the animal. And he gives one, Panina, some meat, and he gives Hannah a double portion. And although this is taking place, and although Panina has kids and Hannah doesn't, and perhaps because this is taking place, Panina chooses to incite and accuse Hannah. And, and I just wonder sometimes, because I feel this way about myself, if, if the reason that we don't approach God in prayer is because when we do, we feel accused. Maybe the thing that keeps us from approaching God in prayer is uh, an accuser's voice that reminds us of the things that we've done in the past, and we think, why would God ever want me to come and ask him for anything because of what I've done? Why would he ever have favor on my life or my circumstance or my situation because of this thing that I've done. And there's an accuser voice that continues to speak very loudly in the back of your head that says, God doesn't love you, he doesn't care about you, and it's because of you. And this is what's happening to Hannah. Panina is saying, God doesn't love you, your husband doesn't love you, he doesn't care about you, and it's because of you, Hannah, you're the problem. You can't produce anything. Come on, you feel this way sometimes? Why is it that we like have an aversion to go to God in prayer or in scripture after we have sinned? Why is it we have an aversion to go to God and go to church after we have kind of gone through a season where we've fallen into temptation? Why is that? Because there's an accuser voice that is trying to rob you from the thing God wants to do in you. And that accuser voice is a very real enemy named Satan. But scripture tells us there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I love this passage right here because it's Elkanah who is, who is 
sacrificing a lamb and giving portions of meat, a double portion to Hannah, the one who's being accused. And I think this is a very clear metaphor for us that because of the sacrifice of the blood of the lamb, come on, the lamb of God, Jesus, we now are given a double portion of God's favor. And that double portion namely is mercy and grace. Come on, they're two different things. Mercy is when we don't receive what we do deserve. We deserve separation from God. We deserve death. And yet, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we don't get it. There's mercy. We are forgiven. When we believe and receive it, we are wiped clean of everything that we've ever done. But that doesn't just stay there. We don't just live in a space of mercy and sin management. Now he gives us another portion called grace, which is when we receive something we don't deserve. When we receive gifts from the loving Heavenly Father. This is why scripture says we can approach the throne of what? Grace with confidence. That in spite of us, God still is inviting us into a conversation with him. Why would would God ask us? Why, Why would Jesus say, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking? Well, I think so many times when we think about prayer, we're so focused on the result. We're like, God, would you, okay, I need you to change this. I need you to change this. And we're focused on change this, this, and we want the result. And God's inviting us because he knows we're focused on the result. But what he's focused on is the relationship. Because he knows that the relationship is what we really need. We approach things and we say, God, would you change, uh, would you change uh, the, uh, the circumstance? Would you change my wife? Would you change my husband? Would you change my kids, God? They're driving me crazy. Change them. Would you change my job? Change my boss? Change my workers? And God's going, <clears throat> hey, what if we focused on changing you? Because he knows that when he changes us, that everything around us begins to change. You see, friends, sometimes prayer changes our circumstances, but prayer always changes our heart. And maybe this is why I don't want to go to prayer. Maybe it's easier for me to ascribe to this ideology that's antithetical to the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of trust. Maybe it's easier for me to control and manipulate everything around and everybody around me. Maybe it's easier for me to respond first in that kind of manner rather than going to God and trusting him. You see, Hannah keeps going and going and going, and this is so funny because Elkanah approaches her, and you see this dichotomy happen right here. It says this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the house of the Lord, this is in verse 7, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. In verse 8, her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Look at this. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? This is how you know the Bible's true. Because the wife's crying and the husband has no idea what to say. It's like, oh, don't say that, bro. Like, don't. And I read this and I was like, don't I do that? 
Don't I try, instead of trusting God and entering into prayer, don't I try to change that person by manipulation, coercion, gossip, whatever it is? Isn't this the kingdom I tend to ascribe to because it's easier? Because it, it would take a whole, it takes a lot of strength to trust God to do this. It takes a lot of strength to sit there on a Sunday when pastor's preaching and not to in your mind go, I sure hope my, my wife's listening to this. It takes a whole lot of strength to open up your own heart and go, God, how do you need to change me? It takes a whole lot of strength to bite your tongue when you want to say something to nag or to coerce or to manipulate. It takes a whole lot of strength instead to approach God with prayer and pray for that person. Because I have a, um, I feel like I have a privilege because um, my late wife, she was a journaler. She would write her prayers, and most of her prayers, she would pray about circumstances and situations, but there were times that she would pray for me. And not all those times were, there, were they good prayers, I felt like, you know. A lot of times they were like, I am so frustrated with Davy about this, you know. And so when she passed away, I read her journals. And as I was reading her journals, what was remarkable to me is I didn't remember her confronting me about a lot of the things that she was frustrated about. But what I did remember is in my quiet time or at a church service or somewhere random, I remember the Holy Spirit confronting me about those exact same things. And it challenged me. This is, the, this is the kingdom God is inviting us into. It's not a kingdom of coercion or manipulation or striving. The kingdom Jesus said is here now is a kingdom where we can trust. And even when we ask for things and we don't get the result that we want, we can trust that God has something better. It reframes our perspective. Hannah is going back and over and over and over and over. And she's asking God, year after year, asking God, incessantly asking God, would you, and something changes in her heart. It says in verse 10, it says, in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord and she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. She was consecrating her son to the Lord if she were graced with one. You see how her prayer changed? It changed from God, give me a son for me to God, give me a son for you and for your purposes. This is why I believe Psalms tells us that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart the precursor to us receiving the desires of our heart, which can be, can we be honest? That, that feels a little weird because sometimes I can't trust my own heart, right? Like, like the heart is wicked and deceitful among all things. Who can know it? I can't trust it. Like what, my emotions lead me astray. So what, you're going to give me the desires of my heart? 
It says, yeah, when you first delight yourself in the Lord, then he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? When I submit myself to God, when I align myself with God's purposes, when I trust in him, no matter what, God, whatever it is, I will do it, I will receive it, I will accept it, whatever you, but I'm gonna ask you for this. God begins to slowly change our heart to align with his purposes and his desires. And then what breaks God's heart begins to break our heart. And through prayer, even though we're focused on a result, he, through a relationship, begins to do something transformational inside of us. And now when he gives us the desires of our heart, it's the desires of his heart. Because prayer puts us right in alignment with the purposes of God. Which leads me to the last thing. And I'm gonna invite the band to come up and help me. Prayer reminds us of our part. Prayer reminds us of our part. I told you at the beginning of this, the reason I have trouble with prayer is because I'm, I'm someone who takes action. Immediately I see a problem, like, okay, let's find a solution, let's take action. And God's been convicting me recently to go to him first in prayer and, and, and align my heart with what he wants so that I can, it's kind of like sharpening the saw before you cut, you know? And, uh, What I see in some people's life, though, if we're honest, is that I see them use prayer or the illusion of prayer as an excuse for passivity, as an excuse for inactivity. Like many times in my life, I have heard God tell me, you need to do this. It's like it comes up over and over and over. Someone kind of pulls me aside and says, I feel like that, you know... That, that, that this is what God is saying that you need to do. I read it in scripture. God's, it's so clear. And I'm like, well, let me pray about it. Now, it's not a bad thing to continue to ask and pray, like make sure and discern, but sometimes we're using prayer as an excuse for inactivity. And Hannah and Elkanah, if they wanted to see a miracle happen in their life, they could not just ask God for that miracle, could they? What was the miracle they needed? They needed a son. They needed to conceive and give birth. It is not enough to just ask God, can I conceive? You also have to act in faith. You ain't following me? (laughs) When you draw a diagram or something like, I just have to imagine that they go home from this. They're like, you know what? If If we put our natural with God's super, maybe supernatural things will begin to happen. Like if we actually step out in faith and be obedient with what we're asking and we are in alignment, then maybe God will do something powerful. And Hannah looks at Elkanah. And Elkanah looks at Hannah. And they're like, well, well, what should we do now? Can we, despite the jokes, despite, you guys are derailing me right now. I know it's my fault. But can we be honest? Can we get underneath that a little bit emotionally? When I talked to this guy this past week about his infertility journey for 10 years, he said, Davey, it was constant expectation disappointment, expectation disappointment, until finally we were like, we don't even want to, we don't want to try. We don't want to set ourselves up for that disappointment anymore. And I wonder if you've ever been there. Man, I've been asking for this, Davey. I've been asking, I've been asking. It seems like God just keeps disappointing and disappointing and disappointing and he doesn't show up. 
What do you mean I'm supposed to act? What do you mean I'm supposed to step out in faith? What do you mean I'm supposed to... I mean that oftentimes the precursor to a miracle is not just you praying about the miracle, but when God tells you to act on something within the miracle, you act on that something within the miracle, and then God acts. There's this beautiful relationship between asking and acting and asking and acting where if you've ever heard Mark Batterson talk about this, he talks about that we should, we should work in such a way that it all depends on us, but pray in such a way that it all depends on God. And that when we begin to apply ourselves in that way and we step into this invitation that God has, 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 has invited us into to take part in bringing the kingdom, then it means that we are going to incessantly and persistently ask him to do something and show up. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will come and I will heal their land. Oh, what's the point, God? I see all this stuff going. What's the point? Just ask. What's the point, God? This thing that keeps... What's the point? Just ask. And keep asking. And keep asking. And then when he tells you to act, you act. Because you have a part in this. I don't have any kind of emotional like response that we need to, I don't have some kind of cool story that will really bring all this to a head because honestly, guys, this is something I am currently wrestling with. I am in a season right now where I'm like struggling with prayer. I'm just struggling. I'm like, I just don't know. I don't know what to ask for and I don't know if it's gonna do any good to ask and God keeps going, Davey, remember the times in your life where you applied yourself to asking. Remember how much transformation took place, not just around you, but in you. And this is what God's inviting us into. So what I would like to do is I would just like for us to respond in singing. Sometimes that's the only appropriate response because God can do whatever he wants to do inside of each one of us. But while we're singing, you see this right here? It says prayer room. Maybe today is the day that you re-engage with prayer. And you go and ask. We're going to have people there. They would love to pray with you. So let's do this. Let's pray together right now, and then let's respond and worship. Jesus, we just ask right now that you would move in our hearts. Would you help us to, to be able to decipher and discern where, where we're supposed to lean into prayer and asking and this, this trust kingdom that you have called us into and, and then where we're supposed to work and where we're supposed to, to obey and where we're supposed to step and move. God, we don't want to go anywhere without you. We don't want to get ahead of you. We don't want to strive. We don't want to coerce. We don't want to manipulate. We want to live out of faith, completely aligned to your kingdom and your purposes. So help us right now to know what that looks like in each one of our lives. Your name we pray.